Today's scripture reading is Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 to 22. Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 to 22. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Uh, Before we begin, uh, let's pray. And as we pray, um, I thought during the summer, I could pray like a psalm. I really love the psalms and just pray a psalm. And I pray that if this really resonates with you, just lift up your heart to the Lord as um, we listen to the psalm and prepare our hearts for worship. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Amen. Oh God, we ask that you would consecrate us now. Consecrate the ears and the hearts of the listeners and consecrate my mouth. So that, Lord, when your word is preached, new life will be birthed. Life will be renewed. We will be given the water of life. That we would not thirst anymore, but we would be satisfied in you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Continue on with uh, the Gospel of Matthew. And so the first verse that we are doing says, Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. we got to always see everything in context. What's the context? Miracles are being done. Crazy things are happening. Lepers are being healed. Things that people have never seen before. Centurion with soldiers comes. And some interaction happens, and all of a sudden he leaves, and Jesus is like, I have not seen such great faith in Israel. Amazing things are happening. And then Jesus goes, let's go. Let's let's get out of here. Why? And a little hint can be given in verse 16. Two verses before, it says that evening, after the leper and after the centurion and after Peter's mother-in-law were healed, It says, that evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons. 
And he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. So that was happening. Why then would he give orders to go to the other side? Would you do something like that? Rather than God gave you this power and you could teach and when you taught, thousands of people would listen. They would go hungry because they would forget they were hungry and just listen. And then when you wanted somebody to be healed, you'd be healed. They'd be healed and all these amazing things are happening. Crowds start to form. Looks like a rally is about to happen. You hear chants from this side and that side. Go you, you know, that kind of thing. And what would you do? But Jesus goes, let's go to the other side. And can I, I can only think of a few things, but number one, we'll see this in context here, but keep this in mind. It was not conducive to discipleship. What was happening was not conducive to discipleship. He puts himself in a position then so that he could be more intimate with his disciples, i.e. boat. We'll see that happen next week. Number two, he doesn't really care about crowd sizes. He's not impressed that they are following him because of what just happened before. And what just happened before? Miracles, healings, but other temporal things. Number three, he's on a mission. And nothing will deter Jesus from his mission. The people were impressed with what Jesus could do, how he taught, the authority that he carried. And Jesus goes, let's move on. You know, if you were setting up a following, a base, a movement, uh, anything, you need to set up first a 501c3 nonprofit status and think of a name to call your church first. But he could care less about the way the world would see his power and authority, the way the world would envy and lust for it. And Jesus does not pander and try to convince you to vote for him. The soapbox is set up, the podium is set up, the flags are set, the mics are set, the sound system is set, the chairs are there. Jesus isn't. He does not pander. And then we see in the next verse, a scribe came to him. A scribe, who's a scribe? As the teacher of the law, they know the law. They memorize the law. They know it by heart and they can just recite it to you. A scribe would come up to him and say, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Obviously, he saw all the things that happened. And as Jesus was about to leave, a scribe, a teacher of the law, would come up to Jesus and say, Rabbi, I will follow you wherever you go. And we know that scribes weren't usually cast in a positive light. A lot of you grew up in the Christian church, so maybe you're already thinking, oh, it's a scribe, boo, right? That kind of thing. We know that scribes weren't always cast in a positive light, especially in the Gospels. But here is a scribe that comes up to Jesus and he sings, I surrender all. And Jesus responds this way, 
Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And you're like, what? What is going on? We should take a brief pause here. Jesus calls himself something. It's by far the most favorite title he calls himself. And it's the Son of Man. The Son of Man. Uh, or in Greek, it's to anthropo, but it just means Son of Man. And it's, favorite, it's his favorite title for himself. In Matthew, it comes up a ton of times where Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. I'm just going to give you three big uses that he does. And first, every time he refers to himself as Son of Man, he is referring to himself as the Son of Man because he will suffer and be humiliated. That's number one. When he calls himself and gives himself this title, Son of Man, he is showing his disciples, those that are listening, he will suffer and endure humiliation. Number two, it stresses the power and authority Jesus has on this earth. So when he calls himself the Son of Man, number one, he is talking about his suffering and the humiliation he will endure. Number two, the power and authority that he has. But finally, it highlights, and this is where we see in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, it goes, I saw in the night visions, and behold, the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. It highlights his future coming as the exalted king. Son of man means a lot of things. And he refers to himself as the Son of Man. And you might be thinking, why particularly the Son of Man? Why not the Son of God? Well, Son of God already had political connotations to it. Why not Messiah? Messiah already had political or social constructs of the understanding. If you go Son of God, you're already thinking of something. Messiah, you're already thinking of something. But Son of Man, you have to be sitting there. It's like, what does that even mean, son of man? You know, if you become a cult, I'm not encouraging you to become a cult leader, but if you become a cult leader, you know what you don't call, you, you know what you would call yourself? You would call yourself son of God. You would call yourself the Messiah, the anointed one. You don't call yourself a son of man. Jesus here calls himself the son of man. Jesus is telling us, and this is, there's so much to it, but this is what Jesus is telling us. He is telling us, you have no idea who I am. You have no idea who Jesus is. You know what's evident? It's evident we need a Savior. If you listen to last week, we are the leper. We are the outcast. We are the Gentile. We are the sick. But when it comes to himself, he is telling us, you know you need a Savior, but do you even know what your Savior will look like? And he's saying, no, you don't. This happens often, but whenever something comes up in the Bible, 
and it's hard to digest, this is a rough thing today that we're going to go over, we tend to skip over it. And the language that we use is, the Jesus I know would never say something like that or never do something like that. Is that so? Because my, the Jesus I know is loving and he's accepting and, you know, he's kind and he's generous. And he is. He is loving. He is accepting. He is kind. He is generous. But he's also fearsome. He's also a God of justice. He is also righteous altogether, holy. To say that the Jesus I know would never do or say that, you know what he says? He says, take up the cross daily and follow me. Would the Jesus you know say that? And when you listen to his words, you're, you might be, take up the cross daily and follow me. Like, whoa, taking up the cross is voluntary? <laughs> Who would take up the cross voluntarily? Believing in Jesus will be hard. I get it. It's very difficult. But can it be this hard? Is it this hard to follow Jesus? Just two chapters before, Jesus is talking about the people who are blessed, the people who are with him, the true disciples, the people who can say they are the people of God. Blessed. You are blessed. In Matthew chapter 5, the last uh, beatitude, the last blessed is this. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And then he goes, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You're really lucky. You are a disciple of the true king when others revile you, persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Peter even writes in 1 Peter chapter 4, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as if something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. For if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And then Peter quotes, If the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. You are going to suffer. You are going to suffer. Either way, you're going to suffer. 
You will either suffer for Jesus or you will suffer because of your sins. And some of you smart Alex will think, why not both? <laughs> no, one will clearly stand out over the other. You will either share in the sufferings of the fallen world or you will share in the sufferings of Christ's. And this is what gets us going. If you are truly listening, you might be thinking, when was I reviled? When was I persecuted? When did I suffer because somebody slandered my name on account of Jesus? Because I wanted to follow Jesus. Am I even a disciple? Am I blessed? Because Jesus specifically is saying, and he's pulling no punches, blessed are those when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. It will not be the way you think. This suffering will come. However, those that are in Christ, the Bible shows us that after the suffering, it will be glorious. It will be difficult, but there will be rejoicing. And so this is what the scribe goes. Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I will give you everything. I saw what you did. I heard what you preached. Man, that's good stuff. And Jesus goes, you have no idea. This Messiah, the, pe the person that you're enamored by, hey, you know, Jesus makes me feel good, you know. I prayed and this happened. And so I think I'm going to follow him. Jesus, I'm going to follow you. And Jesus responds this way. This Messiah will not have security in this world. Meaning he will not have a middle-class security. There is no bed that he can call his own. There is no pillow that he can look forward to when it gets late. There's not even a three-bedroom house. Foxes have holes and birds have nests. These are necessary things for survival. Foxes without holes and birds without nests will not live long. What does this have to do with the cost of being a disciple then? Why is Jesus saying this? If Jesus is, as you claim, your master, and you are his disciple, then who will you imitate? Whose footsteps will you be following? And knowing this, can you still keep this determined and gung-ho attitude as you sang before, I surrender all? If you've been going to church for a while, you know what Jesus has endured. Can you count that cost and follow him? Are you the main protagonist here who valiantly stands up and courageously exclaims, Jesus, I will never let you go. Are you that person? Because that's what the scribe is. <clears throat> there was one thing I discovered through someone here. 
And when we are in a long plane ride, um, there's this eye patch. And I, I brought a box with me. There's this, it's not like an eye patch, it's like an eye patch warmer. And this is it right here. Look at this. If you have good eyesight, you can see this, this person here just loving life because she is on this bed and this eye patch you can just take out from this container and it's like a hot towel for your eyes. So your, your eyes are tired, you know, you've had a long day or this is long flight, you can't really sleep. There's a, it's like a blindfold eye patch thing. You put it on and it gets warm and then you just fall into a nice sleep. This is for anybody that wants it after, but. <laughs> we are people that focus so much on comfort. You know, when I talk about small things, people, and I talk about it with, excuse me, maybe some of you here are my friends, and I, I kind of explain it, I give the download. They're like, wow, that really is a good product. I, would, I, I think I really want one. Because my eyes, they haven't been really, uh, you know, fully rested after I sleep. It's like, yeah, you get a little warmness in there, and it blocks out the light, get full night rest, you're good to go. The next day, you're like, come world, I got this. And then you can say that. And you're like, I, could, I really want that. We are people... We can't even let the small things go. When we start seeing the small things on our media platforms, on our TVs or on our phones, you're like, I could use that. I need that. Let alone, let alone, if anyone comes to me, this is what Jesus says. If anyone comes to me, it's not about Jesus. Jesus goes, let go of the eye patch. You know, then you can follow me. This is how far Jesus goes. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. You know, when we hear this, we can't sit still. And you're like, qualify it, qualify it. Jesus was talking hyperbolically, right? Jesus was talking exaggerations, qualify it. And I would say, yes, he was talking hyperbolically. But Jesus himself does not qualify it. He just moves on to the next line, which says, take up your cross. When we think we know what it takes to follow Jesus, Jesus will respond by saying, you have no idea. There is no way we can follow Jesus on our own accord. It doesn't matter how much power, how much magnificent things or words you hear or things that you see. It doesn't matter how enamored you are with Jesus by his words or actions. You cannot follow Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You cannot call yourself a disciple. That's an oxymoron. You cannot call yourself a disciple. The master calls you to be a disciple. It's the master that calls. Anyone who thinks otherwise does not know what a disciple is or what discipleship will entail. The call to discipleship is a call to die. 
Another one of the disciples said to him, and it goes on, another one of the disciples. So it, this is where I, I get, I don't think the scribe is, is shown here as a bad guy. I think he was honest. I think he was genuine. I think he was following because here it says another of the disciples. So the scribe and this other guy. Disciples, meaning they were following Jesus. They went to church for a really long time. And this is what he says. Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus says to him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. You know, commentators here agree and disagree or whether or not his father was really dead or if he just wanted to wait. Uh, this is true. I've, I've heard people saying, I know that I want to be a disciple of Jesus, but right now it's really rough. So I need to wait a little bit before I really commit to the church, before I really become a member, before I really get baptized, before I really repent, before I really become a disciple of Jesus Christ. Wait, let me do this first. And look at what it is. It's not bad. It's actually a good thing. Why wouldn't you want to bury your father? It's like, what, what is he just going to rot outside? What kind of son would you be? What kind of child would you be if you let your father just rot outside? Look what Jesus says. Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. So was, his, was this man's father really alive at the time? Some people are like, I don't think so. I think he was alive and he just wanted to wait. And I've seen that happen where people are like, you know what? I just want to wait. We've met people like that in Japan. They're like, oh, you know, it's really busy now. So we, I'll, I'll just wait to... I know there's a call. I know there's a call, but I'll just wait. That doesn't make any sense here, though. If you read this, it doesn't make any sense. He, wanted to, he was called, but wanted to wait because he wanted to live his life. It doesn't follow what the Lord is teaching. It could be that the father died right then and there. They're like, hey, your father died. You got to go bury him. And Jesus would, uh, like, I don't know. It could be either or. But I think in the end, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The Bible doesn't say it doesn't matter. Because no matter what it is, you're called to follow Jesus. And when Jesus goes, follow me, it's greater than anything else in the world. This would have, if you were a scribe or a disciple, this would have brought you back to number six. And number six, there are people called the Nazarites, and in the Nazarites, it was a, a kind of a vow that you would take, and you would separate yourself, and then you would consecrate yourself. You would take this special vow, and we know people like Samson, he was one, and so, but he was a special one because he was supposed to do this Nazarite call for the rest of his life, um, and so that's why he grew his hair, and he couldn't cut it and all that stuff, fun stuff, but there was, there was something that people would have recalled. And it says here in number six, all the days that he separates himself to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead body, not even for his father or for his mother, for his brother or sister. If they die, he shall make himself unclean because his separation to God is on his head. All the days of his separation, meaning that vow, he is holy to the Lord. So people would have immediately thought of this. It's like this is something else. This is a very special call. It's a very fearsome, but it is a very serious call. The call is immediate. It's not tomorrow. It's not next week. It's not next year. 
The call is immediate and the call is effectual, meaning it's real. Jesus says it, follow me. There is no warrant for delay. Nothing can come in between you and God. You cannot put anything before God or anywhere even near God. It must be Christ. There is no other way. And this is what Jesus is saying without apology. Without apology. He's not saying, this is is tough, isn't it? This is tough. He doesn't say that. This is the way. And this is where we see that there is no other way but Jesus. Anytime we try to insert something, add something, subtract something, saying, Jesus, the Jesus I know wouldn't say that. And literally it's in the Bible. And you're like, he literally did say that. It's right there. You cannot argue that. He's saying, Come follow me now. Give everything up now. Everything else that you have near you, it's got to be like, I hate it because I love Jesus that much. If you're a disciple of Christ, do people that are close to you think that? It's like, man, Eugene really, I can tell the way he loves God, he kind of hates me. <laughs> like, is it, that, is, it that, is that chasm that far? Meaning you love God so much that everybody else is like, Not even a second, it's a far second. Or do you start saying things like, well, we're called to love each other, right? So, you know, Sunday, I don't really have to go to church. Let's, I I can love God and hang out, NRB, or whatever it is that I want to go to. Jesus Christ shows us that it's Christ and there is no other way. Because every other way is death. Every other way is death. The world has and is still trying to figure out another way. Because they want to reject Christ. You don't really need to have Jesus Christ. You don't need to follow everything to the T. You don't need to be so serious or so conservative or whatever you want to call it. You don't need to really do all these things. There's kindness, there's love. There are many ways to God, that kind of thing. But Jesus himself never says any of that. He goes, let go and follow me. Then take up the cross. Let's go. Because the world has failed. The world is rebellious. That is in our hearts. The reason why we say things like, the God I know wouldn't do this. The God I know wouldn't send people to hell. The God I know wouldn't be so strict in his laws. The God I know wouldn't be so hard on people who are trying, saying, I want to follow you. Why are you so hard on these guys? The God I know wouldn't do that. But I'm telling you, the God that's in the Bible is doing that. And that's why you have to keep your eyes open. Who is the God that you're following? Because if it's not the God of the Bible, then I can't say that you follow God. There is no other way. The world has completely fallen. The world will entice me like, just give a little here. Just do a little bit of this. Live your life. You're young. Don't follow Christ now. Follow him when you're 65. 
then you're good. Then you're fine. You know, I've met people like that. They decided, okay, I retired. Let me go to church. I'm going to tell you this. It never works out the way you plan it. You cannot call yourself to be a disciple. At 65, you will not go to church. Because the call that you're hearing now is right this minute, right this moment. There is no other way. The world has always tried to find another way, and the world has gotten darker for it, not better. And Jesus Christ comes to this world outside of what the world is, pure, holy, sinless. And then he's saying, follow me. You know, sometimes I don't understand. I don't understand why why God? And I'm, I'm, trying, to, I'm trying to share that I, I'm not perfect and I'm not like this super mature dude either. I like the word dude. Uh, I, was, I was at the college retreat and, and, and one of the college students, I was like, hey. And he's like, hey, dude. I was like, mm, I, I like dude. So I'm a dude now. So that's, that's pretty cool. Uh, usually people look at me as like, hey, old man. But I became a dude. Um, I, I, I do kind of think like, oh man, I don't know why this is happening. I don't know why this is so difficult. And I'm surprised. And then I'll read 1 Peter chapter 4. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when you go through fiery trials because you're a follower of Jesus. I don't know why, but I do know that as I have followed Jesus, my testimony is that he has refined me in a way that I could have never imagined, never imagined. You know, when I first became a pastor, my parents would tell me one thing. They would say, do one thing, and that one thing was pray. It's not easy to pray. Who's like, yeah, I'll pray now, if you haven't been praying your life. But then a fiery trouble comes. Where are you? You're on your knees you have tears because you have no other way. There's no other way. I can't, I don't know the answer. Everything I do seems to just be falling apart. It's like trying to hold sand, like you heard, right? You're trying to hold sand, it's just falling through. You don't know. So you're like, I do have to pray. There's no other way. And I know that what God did through that trial was teach me how to pray. And when I pray, I'm like, God, thank you that you taught me how to pray. I don't know exactly why people go through trials, but I do know this. When you follow Jesus and you go through trials, he is the one that is teaching you because he is the way. He reveals to you that he is the Messiah, the Savior. Jesus Christ is the Savior for this broken world, everything that you're looking for, everything that you're find, trying to find satisfaction in, in, in a partner, through sex, through relationship, through just some kind of medium of entertainment, through some kind of life stage. You know, we talk about it often. If you're, if you're a student, you just want to do well, graduate, get a, get a good job. Let me tell you, college students, there's no one here that is a young professional 
that's worried about that right now. They think, they all think, I'm guaranteeing you, they all think this is like baby stuff. But then once you're a single young professional, you're just like, when am I going to get married? Because if I get married too late, I'm going to be too old. There's going to be health issues if I try to have a baby. And I can marry the wrong person. Let me tell you something. If you're single looking for people, the married people don't think like that. They're not worried about that. And then once you get married, you're like, when am I going to have a kid? Uh, how am I going to get a nice house? How am I going to get this retirement package? And how am I going to raise my kids right? And let me tell you something, married people. The people that have retired don't think like that. And if you're retired, you're wondering what to do. Let me tell you something, retired people. The dead people don't have any concerns. <laughs> I am telling you, every worry, every anxiety that you have, it doesn't disappear with the ways of the world. The world does not have an answer. It puts you in deeper and it's horrible. It's sad. It makes you hate others, slander others. You go deeper into sin, your bitterness. And you know what happens when that happens? When you get hurt, you know what the tendency is? And I was sharing with my brother, you know what the tendency is when we get hurt? We start looking inside, right? We're like, ow, oh, that hurt. Oh, why does it hurt so much? And you're just like this walking around. It's like, get out of my way. This hurts so much. But it doesn't help anybody, does it? It doesn't help you. You don't get better. And then Christ comes. He goes, look up. Look at me. And then he touches your wound. And he heals you. Because there is no other way. There is no other gospel. You, can got, you could have gotten into your mess because of your own sins or someone else's sins, whatever you think. It is sin. You are in this mess and you cannot get yourself out is the point. There is no other way. And the Father is now revealing to those that are listening, Christ is the only way. Everything that he utters, every word that he speaks is truth because he is the way, the truth, and he is the life. It is the Father that reveals Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of the living God to you, and the Holy Spirit that sustains and matures you. You see this triune act of God in the salvation and the sustaining and the perseverance of his people. The one who will call you. So now you see, the one that calls you will equip you, and the one that will equip you will teach you, and the one that teaches you will sustain you. You know, there is no way that we can see Jesus' life as beautiful. There is no way that you will see that road to the cross as, man, that's something I am looking forward to. There is no way that you will see that as beautiful unless the Father reveals to you that there is no other way and Jesus is the Messiah. And not only is there no other way, it is a glorious way. And then the Spirit of God sustains you and matures you. There is no way we can truly see the beauty of Jesus' life 
the beauty of who Jesus is. You know what? If you don't have your eyes open, all you see Jesus is for his miracles and his works. And then it does become about me again. It's not about Jesus. We can sing, sing Jesus, I surrender all. But once we don't get something, it's like, where would my eye patches go? It's like, oh, Jesus. Like, that, that's what's going to happen. There is no other way to see the beauty of Jesus' life with the lens of this world. We need a new lens. We need God to open the eyes of our hearts. Because that's when you're like, that is beautiful. How come I never saw that before? Because the world is blind to it. The only way we see it is if God opens your eyes. Let me tell you something. The storms are coming. Not just next week when we talk about Jesus who gets in the boat and the storm comes, but literally in your life, the storms are coming. And he's calling you to get on the boat with him because there is no other way. Let's pray.